0: For more information or to plan your visit, check us out at CityWalkchurch.com or on social media at WeAreCityWalkCA. Morning. Go bucks! Uh, or forty. oh never mind. It's, we're, a lot of us are sad today. It's gonna be a gonna be a very unstressful afternoon for most of us, except for Rob Enix and Katie. Uh, and the the people that like the Chiefs and the Philadelphia Eagles. Uh, If you're here, you're watching online, we're thankful that you're here today as well. Uh, For those of you that are here in person, today is the day, uh, before we dive into uh, Nehemiah, today's the day that uh, once a month we do what we call Intro to City Walk. And if you're new to City Walk, or maybe you've been coming for a little while, and you're like, "Man, how do I take a step to get connected? Have some questions about the church? You know, just want to learn a bit, little bit more?" Uh, right after the service, about ten or fifteen minutes after the service, over in the fellowship hall, uh, we have about a thirty to forty-five minute time together called Intro to City Walk. And uh, it's a spot where you'll be able to get your questions answered and uh, you will be able to talk to you about a little bit about why we do what we do and just help you get connected. And so uh, if that's something that interests you, uh, we'll keep it at, like I said, about 30, 45 minutes. We'd love to have you. And it starts 15 minutes after the service over in the fellowship hall. And so uh, that's today. Uh, you, You probably know this. Based on how much I, I do talk about the Bucks a lot. Uh, but I grew up in Central Florida. But a lot of people are like, why would you like the Buccaneers? Are you just like a, you know, Tom Brady You jumped on the bandwagon when he joined the team? And No, I actually liked the Bucks when they were awful for decades uh, back in the day. And, and I grew up there in Central Florida, a little town called Lakeland, which is about 30 minutes outside of Tampa. And I grew up in a home with three boys. I was the oldest of three boys. And my parents, as early as I can remember, they made faith an important part of our, kind of our life and what was going on in our house. And so if you were to come to the Fincham house at any point uh, when I was growing up, it wouldn't take you long to find a Bible. There was, you know, a handful of Bibles around the house back then, and, and some of you that kind of old school grew up in church, it was that King James Version Bible. And so the 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 version that had the these and the thou's and the be'gots and all that kind of stuff and it even said cuss words in it cuz like you're allowed to say that you know back in the day. And so that that was the Bible and and early on and as early as I can remember my parents encouraged us to read the scriptures and encouraged us as a way to build our faith to read the scriptures. So I can remember several times in my you know growing up as a kid and then even into college saying okay I'm going to read through this part of the scriptures or I'm going to try to do this bible reading plan and without fail I would come to chapters like Matthew chapter 1 that were were basically a list of names a genealogy or I would get into the Old Testament, and I would come to a chapter, and it would be a list of laws, or a list of ordinances, or a list of families for chapter after chapter. And I don't know about you, but man, as a, as a kid and even into college, that I would get to those portions of the scriptures and be like, eh, I may just pass on this chapter. And, and, and I would never have said this out loud, but I might have even thought, you know what? Why did God put this part in there? Like what is, why do I care who begat who begat who, you know, like the chapters and and, and why do I care about the specific laws of the Old Testament and these long lists and, and maybe whether you grew up in church or not, whether faith was a part of your life or not. Maybe there's been a time in your life where you kind of read the scriptures or tried to dive into the scriptures, and then you got to one of those chapters that had a bunch of really hard to pronounce names, and maybe you thought the same thing, like, why did God put this in here? Could they have not had a little easier names to pronounce back then? I mean, what what were they trying to do to their kids by naming them some of these things? And maybe you thought the same thing. And here's the, here's the good news, and I got some good news and bad news. So the bad news is, in the story of Nehemiah, there's a chapter like that. There's actually a couple chapters. And we're, we're in that chapter today. There's, there's a chapter or two in the story of Nehemiah that if you've been tracking with us over the past few weeks, we've been delving into who this guy Nehemiah was and part of his life where there's a, one of those chapters that, that may be, and you would never say this in church, but you may have even been tempted to like, I'm going to go ahead and just roll through this chapter, skip over, pretend, you know, just turn that page quick and get to the good stuff. And we're going to look at what part of that chapter today. But here's the, the really good news. The good news is, this chapter and some of the parts of the story that maybe we would have said, I don't really even know why this is in here, may be the most impactful part of the story in our lives. And so we're going to lean into one of those portions of Scripture today. And just by way of review, if you're kind of new to our church or you haven't been tracking through this this, uh, series with us, this guy, Nehemiah lived about 2,500 years ago. He was a Jewish guy, but he actually worked for a Persian king. He was the cupbearer for the king. And so that means, man, his job was to taste all the Super Bowl snacks before the king got them. Like, that was his role. He was, as a cupbearer, he was the guy that was going to taste all the food, drink all the wine, drink anything that was going to go to the king. He was going to taste it first to make sure the king wouldn't get poisoned. And so he lived in a palace about seven or 800 miles away from kind of his area where his family was from, Jerusalem. And while he's there serving the king, tasting the king's food, and kind of being on the inner circle of this king, his brother Hanani comes to see him, and he asks a really simple question that you would have asked your brother or sister to, just like I would have. He says, hey, bud, how are things back home? Hey, how's, how's, how's Jerusalem? How are the people back home? Because that's where Hannah and I had come from. And Hannah and I, this is what he said, and we've looked at this already, but just by way of review, here's the news that Nehemiah got. It says this, the remnant or, or the group of people in the province who survived the exile are in great trouble and disgrace. Jerusalem's wall has been broken down and its gates have been burned. So, hey, hey, Hannah and I, how are things back home? Tell me the good news. Dude, it's not good back home. The people, man, they're, 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 they're in shame. They're in shambles. The walls of the city that are the defense system, the thing that keeps them safe, are broken down. They're burned with fire. It's not good. It's not pretty back home. And so, Nehemiah, and we, we've already looked at this few weeks ago, his response when he heard this news from his brother who had traveled from where he was from, and he heard this terrible news that he probably didn't expect to hear, his response was this in verse 4. When I heard these words, it says this, I, I sat down like it just stopped him in his tracks. You've, you've had news like that in your life. Where you heard something, some, something you found out something and it literally just punched you in the stomach and stopped you. He says, I, "I sat down and I, I wept. I mourned for a number of days, fasting and praying before the God of heavens. So when Nehemiah heard this news that he wasn't expecting, his, his reaction that kind of God brought him to was this just brokenness. And as we've looked in the past few weeks, we know that for about four months, Nehemiah fasted and prayed and was broken over the news that he heard. And, and during that four months of time, we know that, that God worked in his heart and God gave him clarity on what God was going to do and how Nehemiah was going to be part of the solution. And then as we looked that along with what God was doing in Nehemiah's heart during those four months, God was also working in the king's heart, the guy that Nehemiah worked for. And the king gave Nehemiah kind of his blessing and he provided some resources and said, Hey, Nehemiah, it's okay. You can go back home. You can leave your workplace with me and you can go back for years. And be a part of helping rebuild the wall and help the city. And and in fact, I want to help you. I want to give you resources to help you along the way. And and once Nehemiah got to Jerusalem, which was about a two to three month kind of trip to get there, he he finally got there with he had the supplies that the king had provided. He was there, he could see the broken down walls. And as we saw just a few weeks ago, he, he took the first few days that he was there and he rested. And he got up in the middle of the night when nobody else was really probably paying attention. And he inspected the wall. He walked around. He saw the damage for himself. And then the next morning, he gathered the people who honestly, they, a lot of them, they weren't sure why Nehemiah was even in town. So he gathered the people, and he basically, as he gathered them, he pointed the people to the need. He said, man, look around you. Look look at the need. Look at the broken down walls. Look at the hopelessness. And then Nehemiah said, hey, and then he pointed to God. Let me tell you what God has already done to prepare the way for us to be part of the solution. And the people's response was this in Nehemiah 2.18. I think we looked at this this past week. Their response was this. Let's go. Let's start rebuilding. And their hands were strengthened to do this good work. After Nehemiah had inspected the wall and after Nehemiah had now gathered the people to say, hey, look at what's going on. We can just look at this. We can be hopeless and we can continue on this for years or we can be part of the solution. And let me tell you how God has already worked on your behalf. And, and as he told them this, it, you can almost see the people's like eyes light up and their heads kind of come up and no longer they discouraged. And they're like, yes, let's do this. And so they do, they say, let's get going, which brings us to chapter three. And in chapter three, it's 32 verses of what seems to be kind of a running commentary of people's names that are really hard to pronounce and the specific area of the broken down wall that they worked on. And and instead of skipping it, uh, kind of over it or or wondering, hey, why God, why would you even put this in the story? Let's look at it for a minute. And and let's lean into it a little bit, because it has the potential to be a game changer for all of us. And so let's look at verse 1 of Nehemiah chapter 3. And and let's look at some of these people and the parts of the wall that they worked on. It says this, the high priest, Elieashib, and his fellow priests began rebuilding the sheep gate. So I think we have a picture that you'll see up on the screen of the kind of the wall. We, We found this out in my small group this past week that this wall, if you were to line this thing up straight, it'd be about five miles long. So about from here to maybe downtown Marysville is about how long this wall was that was gonna, they were going to rebuild. And the sheep gate, it, it's up here. This is, where, this is where the priest started. And so the, it says that the, the priest, they, they started to rebuild the sheep gate, which was kind of in the northeast section uh, of, the, of the wall, up at the very top. And then it, it goes on, it says this, they dedicated it. And installed its doors. After building the wall to the Tower of the Hundred and the Tower of Hananel, they dedicated it. And basically, what the writer does, who kind of walks through the different people and the story and the parts of the wall that they worked on, if you were to look at that wall, basically the sheep gate is in the northeast side. And what the writer does is he tells us kind of counterclockwise who worked on every part of the wall. All the way around. And so it lists. And, and so let's, let's look at a few of them. It says this in verse 2, The men of Jericho built next to Eliashib, and next to them, Zechur, son of Imri built. The sons of Hassanah built the fish gate. They built it with beams and installed its doors, bolts, and bars. Next to them, Merimoth, son of Uriah, son of Hakaz, made repairs. Beside them, Meshulam, Son of Berechiah, son of... Mes- I mean, would you ever name your... Poor kids on like first day of school. Like, hey, you know, if you're, you're saying this name, you're definitely getting made fun of. Made repairs. Next to them, Zadok, son of Bana, made repairs. And if we were to take time and read through the entire chapter 3, what we would hear is we would hear the words next to or beside 28 different times. And so basically what the writer does is he just says, okay, this is a person and the family that worked on this area beside them in this area. And it just lists all the way around the wall, the different people, the different families who worked on the wall. And here's what we know. We know that Nehemiah such a skillful leader who had prayed and thought this through. He assigned different people, different families, To work shoulder to shoulder on different parts of the wall. See, to accomplish this work, this work that God had called them to, I mean, this is five miles of wall. They don't have a Lowe's. They don't have a Home Depot. They don't have a crane. They don't have any power tools. They're rebuilding this by hand, shoulder to shoulder. And in order to accomplish this, it's going to take everybody doing their part on their section of the wall. And so if you and I were, hey, it was like work day and we were joining them, here's what we would have seen. We would see priests, we would see goldsmiths, we would see engineers, we would see carpenters, we would see merchants, we would see families with little kids, literally shoulder to shoulder all the way around the wall building. There was no superstars. It wasn't like, hey, you're you're, you're this educated, or you have this skill, or you have this money. And so, no, no, everybody worked shoulder to shoulder on the part of the wall that Nehemiah said, you're supposed to work on this. And and what would have been cool if you would have been there, and if I would have been there a long time ago, 2,500 years ago, you would have seen these people, but you would have seen little kids. If you read through the 32 verses, it even like this one dude has his daughters out there working on the wall with him all around the wall. This, this, this project that to these people just a few months ago seemed impossible. Nobody was tackling this project. Now you literally have little kids, engineers, priests, salesmen, All different types of people, shoulder to shoulder, working on the wall together in front of them. See, and and here's what's really cool. Not only were the people that lived inside the city, you would think, well, it would be important to them, but there was actually other Jewish people that didn't live inside the city that came and said, you know what? We'll work on parts of the wall too. Because here's what Nehemiah did. He's very smart. He had families work on the part of the wall that was close to their house. So you think about it. I ain't worried about uh, a front yard five yards from me. I'm worried about the front yard that's keeping my front yard nice. And and so if it's my part of the wall, if this is the area that's going to protect my family, I'm going to work hard to make sure this part of the wall is good. And so Nehemiah knew that. So he put families next to the part of the wall that was closest to their house. And then he had other people that didn't live inside the city come into the city, other Jewish people, and they worked on the parts of the wall that weren't close to anybody's house. He was extremely skilled, extremely thoughtful. And these people, they all contributed because they knew there was no one person, no one family, no one profession was going to accomplish this. It was going to take everybody. Here in a few hours, I've already kind of joked about it, but here in a few hours, the Super Bowl is going to be played. And here's what we know, whether you love football, hate football, doesn't matter if you know much about it, we all know this, at the end of tonight, no one player is going to win the Super Bowl for their team. There might be a star player that, that does well, that yeah, they'll get the MVP of the game, but there's no one player that's good enough, strong enough, has it all together to be able to go against the other team by themselves and win. It's just not going to happen. It's impossible. And I would go far to, so far to say that there's no one group of players that are going to be responsible for winning tonight. The team that wins tonight is going to have an offense and a defense that work hard. They have a coaching staff. They have nutritionists. They have strength trainers. They have front office people. They have medical staff and many other people that we don't know that have literally for months been working for this moment. And, and, and in order for the team to win tonight, whichever team does, it's not going to be because of three or four players. It's going to be because all of those people for months have been working behind the scenes, some of them, doing their job for this big accomplishment that they're hoping to get to tonight. And, and Nehemiah, and, and as we look at think about them, the, the task that Nehemiah had proposed, and and he was encouraging people to be involved in, and he was leading the charge on. This was a task that was huge. And there was no way that any one person, any one group had had any ability to accomplish it by themselves. It was going to take all these different people with the tools they had, with the wall that was in front of them, doing their best to accomplish what was in front of them. And as they began to progress, and as you read through it, they progressed quickly, surprisingly fast. But with progress and unity also came opposition from people on the outside. As, as, As the opposition was starting to notice, man, Nehemiah's got... A squad out there. I mean, they are all working hard together. They're unified. They're accomplishing, Man, they're, I wake up every morning, and man, that wall's getting built way faster than I thought. Those gates are getting repaired way faster than I thought. So with the progress and with the unity of the Jewish people, the opposition came strong. And in Nehemiah chapter 4, it explains some of that opposition. It says this, When Sanballat who we were introduced to last week, heard that we were rebuilding the wall, he became furious. This is the idea of like, he like went into a rage, angry, not just like, oh, that bothers me a little bit. Like he was furious. And so it says this, he mocked the Jews. And what he does is he, he begins to mock them. He begins to gather some other people around him, some colleagues that are going to help mock. And here's what they do. They begin to ask questions that are meant to discourage. Look at some of the questions. It says this. It says, before his colleagues and some powerful men of Samaria, and they, here's what they said. Here's the first question. What are these pathetic Jews doing? Then he says this. Can they restore it by themselves? will they offer sacrifices? Will they ever finish it? Can they bring these burnt stones back to life from the mounds of rubble? Then Tobiah the Ammonite, another one of the opposition, here's what he says. He was beside him and he says this. He says, indeed, even if a fox climbed up on that wall they're building, he would break it down. And and so you have this opposition who is asking questions. They don't really want the answers to these questions. They're asking these questions with a purpose of discouraging. They are emotionally trying to intimidate and discourage and make these people feel small. Which is not something that only happened 2,500 years ago. It's actually one of the tactics that the enemy still uses today. In fact, some of you, this week maybe, you've gone through some circumstances and the enemy is trying to make you feel small, to discourage you. And here's how he does it. I mean, he's been doing it for thousands of years. He's really good at it. Here's how he does it. He makes the obstacle look overwhelming. The obstacle that's in front of you, the, the thing that's that you didn't expect to come the challenge the relationship that's the struggling all the whatever that obstacle is he makes that obstacle look so overwhelming and that's what these guys were trying to do to the Jewish people they were trying to remind them how hard this project was how how much work it was going to take how well, even the work they were doing wasn't going to get it done he the enemy tries to make us feel small by making the obstacle in front of us look overwhelming. But then he does this, and this is what these guys did too. If he, if he can't make the obstacle look overwhelming, he will try to make your part seem insignificant. You, you felt that. Where, where you felt like what I bring to the table isn't enough. What I bring to the table is insignificant. And that's what these enemies, these opposition, they were trying to make the, they were emotionally intimidating the Jewish people. They saw the progress. They hated it. And so they threw these questions at them to discourage them and make them feel small. They wanted them to be overwhelmed by the obstacle. They wanted them to be overwhelmed with how insignificant their part was in the solution. Because ultimately they wanted them to quit. But Nehemiah, and you'll see this all through his story, he doesn't argue. You never see Nehemiah like argue back with him or try to like, let me convince you otherwise. He doesn't argue. He doesn't argue with his detractors. But what he does, he goes to God and he prays for justice in the situation. And then in verse six, he says this. This is a powerful verse. After Nehemiah has gone to God, all these people are trying to stop him and throwing these questions at him to make them feel small and insignificant. Here's what Nehemiah says. So we rebuilt the wall until the entire wall was joined together up to half its height. Why? For the people had the will to keep working. Another translation says it this way. The people worked with all their heart. In the midst of opposition, in the midst of the enemy trying to make them feel small, the enemy trying to discourage them by making the obstacle look big and their part insignificant, these people, they stayed focused. They didn't listen to the enemy and quit. Instead, they remained unified. They did their part and they accomplished what seemed a few months ago to be impossible which leads us to a couple questions. You and I, we don't have a five-mile wall to build around our city. Like, we hope our levees do well. You know, we kind of have some walls built. So, I mean, if, if ever that, you know, starts to go bad, we'll, we'll get out there with some sandbags. But, but bottom line, like, that obstacle, none of us woke up today, like, overwhelmed by the obstacle of, man, we got to get that wall rebuilt or, you know, You know, those people in Sacramento, they're going to come and like trash our houses and like we got to get the wall around Yuba-Sutter built. None of us were worried about that. But but here's the question, and and this is a question to think about, and I'm obviously not talking about a five-mile wall around the city, but here's the question. Does the wall need to be repaired? Say, Chris, what do you mean? Well, the wall back then... Obviously, it was an actual wall, but what it, it also had represented some things. It represented brokenness. A, a, a broken wall represented brokenness. It, it represented discouragement. It represented hopelessness. When, when we look at a broken down wall, it, it, it represented an opportunity to build, to strengthen, to make something better. And so the question is this, does the wall need to be rebuilt? Does it need to be repaired in our area, in our life, in our family? This week, Josh and I, this Thursday, we were headed over with us, you know, starting church in Marysville in about a year. We're spending some time over there and doing some different stuff. So we were headed on our way over to have lunch at the brick, and then we're going to do some stuff over in Marysville and as we're driving, all of a sudden, Josh says to me, hey, dude, look. And there was this dude that looked to be a homeless man, like just beating the you-know-what out of another dude that looked to be a homeless man. And so we're, we're kind of seeing this as we're kind pull, of you know, pulling by it. And I said, Josh, turn around. And so we went back, and we stopped to right where they were at. And we went up to the guy that had been getting kind of thrashed and we're just like, dude, are you okay? And he looked, and I, I just won't forget, he looked up at me and his eyes, like the look in his eyes. I'll just not forget it. It was hopelessness, confusion. And he said, he said, just go, go, go. Like he didn't want us to bother him. I don't know if he thought we were gonna do something bad to him too. And, and then we went over to the, group that was there, and we we're like, who did, like, who was beating him up? Uh, and nobody obviously said anything, but we're just like, guys, you can't do that. Don't do that. And that's just one example. Two weeks, a week and a half ago, 10-year-old and, and Linda gets, a drive-by, gets shot, and he's dead. Like, the wall around us is it needs to be repaired? Those are just like big things out that people can see, but but you got things in your family that you would say, Man, the wall needs to be repaired. There is hopelessness, there is discouragement, there is man, things that could be better, there are things that could be strengthened, could be built. And so, this is a question that we we have to grapple with as individuals is does the wall need to be repaired? And then the second question that it leads to is is simple. So what part on the wall can I repair? What part on the wall can I repair? A few years after Nehemiah was written, about 500 or so years after Nehemiah was written, Paul, he penned a letter to some people in Rome. and, And he talked about how they were now a part of a body they were a part of a, a, a body, the body of Christ, and how each of them had a role, a part to play, and how each of them, their role built on each other, and they needed each other. And, and, and he wrote this in, in, in Romans chapter 12, and, and just look at verse 4, we'll, we'll read part of it. It says this, just as our bodies have many parts, and each part has a special function, so it is with Christ's body. We are many parts of one body. We all belong to each other. In his grace, God has given us different gifts for doing certain things well. One of the things that happens when you become a follower of Jesus, when you believe that Jesus died and rose from the grave and you put your trust in him, one of the things that happens inside of you is the Holy Spirit gifts you. And he gives you specific gifts, not for yourself, but so that you can be part of building the bigger body of Christ. And Paul goes on and he he mentions some of those. He says, so if, if God has given you the ability to prophesy, speak out with as much faith as God has given you. If your gift is serving others, serve them well. If you're a teacher, teach well. If your gift... If your gift is to encourage others, be encouraging. If it is giving, give generously. If God has given you leadership ability, take the responsibility seriously. And if you have a gift for showing kindness to others, do it gladly. And so Paul, 500 years after Nehemiah and the nation of Israel lived out what a great example they were of everyone doing their part. Paul reminds us that, you know what? You're part of a body. And every part of the body is important. Every part of the body has gifts and functions that it does. And the rest of the body relies on everybody doing their parts. So so here, let me, let me, let's think. I'm going to make a couple assumptions. No matter where you are as it relates to faith, I'm going to make a couple assumptions. Here's the first assumption. That you, you and I see the need. I'm going to make that assumption that, that there's nobody in the room or watching online that's like, you know what? No, it's, everything's perfect. No issues, no family issues, no issues in our city, everything's great, there's no needs, there's no hopelessness, there's nothing that could be better. I'm going to just assume that we would all agree that there are needs, that there is hopelessness, that there are things that could be better. And here's the second assumption I'm going to make, that we want to use our lives to make things better whether we're actively doing it now, but, but inside of us, there's a desire that says, hey, I, I don't want to waste my life. I, I want to use my life to meet some needs, to make some things better that need to be better. I, I want to I do that. And if that's true, the question is, hey, what stops us from fully engaging and doing our part to repair the wall? If we all see the need, whether you're watching online or here, we, we all would say, yeah, for sure. We all have a desire inside of us to, man, I, I, I want to help. I want to use my life for good. I don't want to waste my life. I don't want to wake up at the end of this thing and say, well, that was kind of boring and I was really selfish my whole life. No, I want to be a part of making a difference. I, we, we all hopefully would say that. So then why don't we repair the wall? And I think the reason is that the enemy is continuing to use a couple tools that he's been using all the way back to even before Nehemiah. And the first tool that he uses, and he's using it in some of your life and he uses it in my life, this, the tool of distraction. He uses this tool because there's nobody in the room that says, oh, I don't, that would say there's no needs. Everybody's like, oh, for sure. Sure. Dude, I got needs in my family. I got needs in my city. I got needs in my workplace. Yes, there's needs. And nobody in the room would say, well, man, bump all those needs. I don't want to help with anything. I don't want my life to count. So then why don't we? And it's one, because of this. the enemy uses this tool of distraction. And, And here's what I mean. It might be sin, but probably for most of us, It's using our time and resources for unimportant things. I was with a friend, guy I respect in this city a lot, really sharp guy, businessman in the city. I was with him just this past week. And this is a guy, and we were talking about this. We hadn't talked for a little while. We were talking about this. He has an incredible clarity on the needs around us. And he desperately wants to make things better. This is not a guy that doesn't even like he is incredibly crystal clear on what the needs are and what his specific role is, what he needs to be a part of to make it better. And here's what he said to me. He said, he said, Chris, in the past, I've, I've been distracted by comfort and it's driven him to purchase certain things and, and not bad things, all things that you would say, oh, those are good things. But he's purchased certain things. He's made certain investments. And here's what he said to me. He says, what I'm doing right now is I'm trying to detangle myself from those things so that I can basically build the wall I'm supposed to build. And he admittedly says, I've been distracted. And distraction has stopped me. And the things he's been distracted with, they're not awful things. But for him, he says, you know what? They've distracted me. This I, I've been afraid. I've been trying to build a comfortable life and, and with all this extra stuff that we really don't need. And it's distracted me from doing what I'm supposed to do to make a difference. I've been distracted. And he literally used the word detangle. I just, I have to over this next few, and he's working on it. He's detangling himself from some of those things that are holding him back. Distraction. For some of you, if, if, if you were to kind of Go deep in your heart, you know, what's holding me back? You would say, I'm wasting my time, my money, my effort on things that don't matter. My wife, she just this past couple weeks ago, we were talking about an industry. I won't even tell you the the industry, but an industry that basically is built on people losing money. And she literally said this, all the people that are spending time and money in those type of places, they should be using that time and money to make our city better. Distraction. Distraction. And if that bothers you, that's the Holy Spirit. Distraction. Our city should be better. Distraction. People shouldn't be homeless. There shouldn't be people that can't eat. Like Distraction. There's enough money, there's enough brains, there's enough people in our area that that could make a difference, and some of them are wasting it. Distraction. The second tool he uses is discouragement. And, And here's what he does. The obstacle's too big. Too big. Because what we're doing, and I've done this myself, we look at the whole wall and say, I can't rebuild that whole wall. We look at all the needs. I can't fix all that. And so the, the devil, he tries to work, work on us to, to make us think that we're responsible to fix all of it. And we get discouraged. And then what he does is he, he makes us, and some of you feel this exact thing, that what you bring to the table is insignificant. It's, I don't have the right tools. I mean, there's a piece of broken wall in front of you. You have been given a tool. You've been assigned a part of the wall. And and what you're struggling with is you're looking next to you and you see that somebody else has a tool different than yours. And God's like, look at the wall in front of you. Look at the tool that I've given you and get to work. Rebuild What I've given you to rebuild, don't worry that you don't have that tool. You don't need that tool to build the part of the wall that I want you to build. If you did, I would give it to you. And we're discouraged. We're discouraged. There's a broken wall. It's right in front of us. And God has gifted each of us in unique ways to fill the needs and build the wall that he wants us to build. But if we listen to the enemy, we think, man, I don't have what it takes. What I bring to the table, it's insignificant. If I had what she had or I had the gift that he had, I could do something. And we get discouraged. And that's exactly what the enemy wants. See, he's put specific tools in your hand and his plan is to rebuild the wall his plan is to redeem and, and he's not looking for a few superstars to do it He's looking for a group of people that lock arms and take the gifts that they've been given and say, you know what? This is the wall. This is the need that he's put in front of me. I can't fix everything. I can't solve all the problems, but this is the need he's put in front of me. This is what he's pricking my heart with. And I'm trusting that if he's pricking my heart with this, that he's given me the tools... To make a difference in it, so I'm gonna trust him and I'm gonna to get to work. Because his reputation's the one on the line, not ours. As we kind of close, whether you're 17 or 97 or somewhere in between, whether you're watching online or you're here this morning, all of us have an opportunity to bring hope, encouragement, to bring practical help and make things better in the places God puts us. And here's the beautiful thing. Your personal fulfillment and my personal fulfillment is on the other side of us saying yes to that. If you wonder like, man, why just, why is this thing not, I'm just kind of bored with this thing. Build the wall in front of you. Use the gifts you have to build the wall in front of you. And the fulfillment that you want, that desire, that, man, I want to make a difference. It's on the other side of you taking your tool and doing the work, doing what God's called you to do, trusting him and getting involved. And so I don't know what it is for you. I don't know what in your family is broken. I don't know what at your workplace. I don't know the needs there. I don't know where you drive in our city or in our counties that, that where you drive by something that bothers you every day and it's just part of what kind of you. I don't know what it is for you that there's just something that, that pricks your heart. You see something and you imagine it being better. Something's bothering you or something you just see that has an opportunity to be better or strengthened. I don't know what it is for you. But here's what I'm telling you whether you're online or you're here, if God's laid something on your heart, he's going to give you the tools to build the wall he's put in front of you. Do not listen to the enemy. And let's lock arms. Let's lock arms. And let's do something special. Let's rebuild the wall. Let's bring hope to people that need hope. Let's help people that are discouraged. Let's, let's make a difference so that man, a hundred years from now, we mattered. Our lives mattered. We did what God wanted us to do and things are different because of it. Let's pray. (laughs) With every head bowed and every eye closed as we close up, Maybe you're here, you're watching online, and you would say, Hey, Chris, I've, there's been a time in my life when I've become a follower of Jesus. And, you know, there's a time, whether it was recently or a long time ago, you made that decision to follow Jesus. And when you think of the needs around you, what well, comes to mind? Well, what pricks your heart? What have you driven by and wished it was different what, what relationship or what family thing is just, anytime you're around it or you think of it, you just, you, you know it could be better. It, your heart hurts because of a need. Like, like, what is it for you? What pricks your heart? The enemy, he wants you to believe that the issues are too big. He wants you to believe that you're part Is too small, that your gifts are insignificant? But here's the question with every head bowed and every eye closed, would you be willing to follow Nehemiah's example? When he faced an obstacle, he didn't argue with the obstacle. He just took it to God. He told God, God, man, I'm nervous about this. God, there's a big obstacle in front of us. God, I don't know how this is all going to work. He just, he took it to God. He asked God for help. And then he just got to work. He just picked up the tools and got to work. So I don't know what that means for you. I don't know what needs are around you. But I do know That When you say yes to God, when you trust God that God has given you the gifts to do what he's called you to do, on the other side of you saying yes to him is the fulfillment that you deeply desire. So would you say yes? Would you step into that area of need and just trust God to use you? Maybe you're here, you're watching online, and you'd say, Chris, I'm I'm not a follower of Jesus. Man, God went to incredibly great lengths so that he could have a relationship with you. There was a huge obstacle, and that obstacle was sin. And sin had broken the relationship that God had with man. And so God sent his son, and his son came, lived a sinless life died on the cross, and then rose from the grave. And he died, and he died not for his own sin, but he died to pay for our sin. And so because of what Jesus did, he, God now invites us to say yes to a relationship with him because the obstacle has been removed. But we have to say yes. And so whether you're watching online or you're here this morning, would you just say yes if you haven't before? say, Chris, how would I do that? I don't have a relationship with God. I I don't really even know how to start one. Well, just, just talk to him, just between you and God, from your heart to his, not out loud, but just your heart to God. Just tell him, God, I admit to you that I've sinned. I admit to you that I've done things my own way. I've disobeyed you. Tell him, just in your heart, and then just tell him, God, I believe that when Jesus died on the cross and rose from the grave, that he did that for me. I believe that. And then just invite God. Just say, yes, God, I want a relationship with you. Come into my life. Transform me. If you're here this morning or you're watching online, maybe you're listening to this on a podcast. If today you said yes to a relationship with God, we would love to know about that. We'd love to celebrate with you. And and you can let us know if you're watching online or listening to this somewhere else. You can go to citywalk.cc. There's a decision card there. You fill out. We'll get that. We'll connect with you. If you're here with us this morning, you can just reach in front. Right in front of you, there's a card that says decision. You Fill that out and just put it in the offering basket or take it to the next steps table. And we'll just contact you this week and want to make sure you understand your decision and really just celebrate with you. Lord, I thank you for calling us, Lord. Thank you for calling us to be a part of what you're doing. Lord, you've uniquely gifted us. You've uniquely burdened us. You've given us passion. And Lord, I pray that we would say yes to you. In Jesus' name, amen.